Welcome to the Wet Podcast, episode number 18. is P.J. Fox. P.J. is the author of nine novels as of today, uh, January 23rd of 2015, and uh, two nonfiction books. Uh, the reason I say as of today is because who knows tomorrow, there might be a bunch more. She's a very, very prolific writer, and I think you're going to have a lot of fun listening to this uh, very dynamic interview. I have this thing where I forget to introduce people sometimes during the during the podcast uh, i sometimes just hit record you know we're talking i'll hit record we'll be chatting and next thing you know we're kind of in the interview section and then i start fretting about it. i'm like oh no i have to introduce this person and all that but i realized that if you're listening to this you, you probably clicked on it right either you clicked on it on the website or on itunes or whatever and in the description in the title you see pj fox so you know who it is so and i then i record these little intros further introducing the guest so in a way i guess it doesn't matter if i don't introduce the guest right because you know that i'm interviewing pj fox today so if i just jump into the interview it's okay so that's a moment of uh, clarity that I, that I just uh, had recently. <laughs> so <laughs> the reason I'm telling you this, of course, is because we go several minutes before I even introduce her. But um, you can find uh, PJ at uh, pjfoxwrites.com. All of this stuff is in the show notes at ericmarshall.net slash wet, uh, where I uh, outline some of the things we've talked about. This is somewhat of a longer interview. It's about around an hour, uh, so it's longer than some, so I'll keep this short. Uh, just remind you that uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and other places that people find podcasts. And I do appreciate reviews. Uh, if you go over to iTunes, find the podcast, click the stars, maybe write a sentence or two about how awesome this podcast is and how much you love it, or about how much you hate it, if you want to do that. Uh, I do appreciate that. Uh, one thing I forgot to tell PJ that uh, this is a clean podcast. You know, I had the clean tag on iTunes, so she does drop the S word at some point. I didn't bother editing it out. I didn't bother bleeping it or anything. I'm just, you know, I don't think the iTunes police are going to come like take away my clean tag or anything like that uh, for that. So I, <laughs> I just left it in. Uh, so you know. Don't 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 report me, man. Yeah, I think we can we can handle it. So if you're listening with kids, there's there's one S word and two B words in here. <sighs> Shock. I actually don't know what it takes to get the clean tag on iTunes or what it gets to not get the clean tag on iTunes. You know, because they have like the B word in network TV now, right? <sighs> Whatever. Here's the interview. Enjoy. Hey, it's working. Yay. Say something. Hooray! All right. Finally. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. <laughs> I hate to have this whole thing and not. That's my greatest fear is doing a whole interview and then realizing it never recorded. It's just not there. <laughs> you know? You know, that might be a good thing depending on, <laughs> right, depending right. on the interview. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. But <laughs> I've, I've, been to a, I've been to a few events where someone had to press the, the panic silence button for the microphone. <laughs> someone... not, on, not on you. Not on me. Okay. <laughs> but um, no, I've I've been in the audience and I've 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 seen a few good ones happen. Wow, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I was um, I was an attorney before I uh, started writing uh, full time. It was written, and um, I had a I had a few good ones as an attorney. See oh, people, um, people get up and uh, you know when I was in law school, people would be like, "Oh, you're in law school. You know, have you seen Boston Legal?" And I'd get really offended and I'd be like, "The, the real world isn't like that." And then I started practicing law, and I was like, "Actually, it kind of is." <laughs> That's you know, terrifying. Um, <laughs> you, 
you, you, you have, you know, the other attorney is, is like forgotten what, what case they're standing up for or, or, or what's going on or, you know, they're, they're not entirely clear on, on why they're, why they're there. And, you know, you have witnesses who, who show up three sheets to the wind and things of that nature. Nice. That is fantastic. <laughs> Great stories, right? It gives you a lot of material to write about maybe, right? It, <laughs> Good. Everything gives you material um, yeah. if you think about it yeah. in the right way. Yeah, definitely. Um, which is what the first, the first section of my, um, my book on writing is about is seeing the potential in your own experiences as far as writing material and, and sort of giving yourself permission, I think, to, to, to see the interesting in the everyday. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, you know, I, I have nothing to write about if I, if I'm not, you know, a sort of a real life James Bond and, or they, they sort of have to talk themselves up or, and, and that's not really what makes things interesting. You know, it's a good story if people connect to it, you know, they like it, they right. make some laugh or whatever. And a lot of times, uh, you know, people, people's writing ends up being very fake because they're trying to be something they're not rather than just realizing that, you know, whether you're, you know, Han Solo or your neighbor down the street, everyone's dealing with the same stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I should, I should, you're, you're saying a lot of good stuff that I want to make sure we get <laughs> into the podcast. So I should probably like, introduce you and do the whole like, right. <laughs> who is this? So I'm really bad at that. I really bad. I always just jump right in and then I always, um, end abruptly as well so if you listen to my first couple you'll, you'll hear like just it just stops and i'm like oh man so anyway I, I, think that, I think that makes it more exciting you know nobody's really interested in introductions anyway you know i suppose yeah <laughs> and, I, and i do record an introduction anyway so i will say that but i have with me pj fox hi hello okay so we'll get that out of the way um i may edit and reorganize that and i may not depends on what next week brings but Fox, <laughs> author of several delightful novels that everyone listening to this should read and several nonfiction books as well um all of which are just fascinating and and you know great if you're having trouble getting to sleep you know you have any kind of insomnia uh read a few pages and you'll be out like a light <laughs> i recommend them highly great great introduction <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay, so we've got that out of the way. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you know the WTF podcast with Mark Marin, but he had Richard Linklater on, and Richard Linklater was talking about this idea that in movies you have to set things up and you have to um, like give all of this motivation for the characters and, and explain to the audience why they have to care. And he says, you know, you don't have to do that. If you see someone on screen for five minutes, you're going to get it. It's a human being. You're a human being. You're gonna. There's identification. You're. You know. As long as there's something that you can hook onto, you're gonna understand. You know. I thought that was a really interesting yeah. point to be made, right? And and you're right. Like, there is. If you just kind of pay attention to the people and things around you, you'll find material, right? Well, and it's hard to it's hard to predict to what people are gonna relate to and what they're not. Because one thing that I found very interesting is. Um, at the beginning of December, I released, um, uh, not, it's a three part novel, really more than a trilogy, uh, The Prince's Slave. And it's about this girl who is, uh, kidnapped. And one thing that I found very interesting is that most of the criticisms of the book that I received were, uh, sort of this, these pseudo feminist arguments where on the one hand, people were saying, oh, you know, this, this girl is, is, is kidnapped and there's, there's this, sex trafficking and, and, and all of that is terrible. And, and, you know, how dare you portray women being abused and taken advantage of. But on the other hand, we're saying that they really found the fact that the main character, um, you know, had a problem with the fact that she was kidnapped, very tiresome. Mm. And they were, you know, wanted her to be less, less boring. And, and, you know, all this, all this worrying about her bodily autonomy was very dull. And, you know, I should have, I should have had more, more sex and more excitement. So, you know, it's it's fascinating, too, is that interaction between how people think they they should react, um, how they tell themselves they're reacting and, and what actually, you know, interests them. Um, and often that, you know, one has nothing to do with the other. Um, and, you know, you think, oh, this person, this person should be be sympathetic or, or they shouldn't be sympathetic. Um, it's like I had. A, a comparatively unpleasant childhood and, and I was um, I was in a number of different foster placements and um, so that is a is a, a theme I think that does 
show up in my work. Um, and I have a number of characters in different novels who were, you know, women and men who were really struggling to sort of accept that they have the right to, to sort of captain their own ship and have their own, their own destiny. And, um, you know, what made me decide to self publish was having an agent who wanted to represent me telling me that, um, she found uh, protagonists in another novel of mine, um, you know, really bitchy because she, she didn't want to be <laughs> raped. And um, the, the sort of hero or who she perceived to be the hero was, you know, rich and, and successful. So she should be into him. And um, I was, I was wow. pretty mortified. And this is a book that deals with a lot of themes of, um, you know, drug addiction, violence, abuse, um, and really, you know, people trying to find themselves. And, and I was just sort of thinking to myself, you know, this is not the gatekeeper that, that I want, you know, I'm just going to put this book out there and, and let people read it and decide for themselves whether, um, you know, wanting to direct her destiny, um, and not falling for the first rich man who comes along, you know, makes a woman a right. horrible bitch. Um, and I have to say it, it was, it was the best yeah. decision I ever made. Did you find um, a, a just, strong, a good readership for that, for that series, for that book? Um, actually for that book, it's, it's been, it's been a, a, a very devoted yeah. readership to the, for the two books in that series that have, that have come out. Um, I think it's a, it's been a tough book mm -hmm. to shelve, um, because it's, it's set in a far future, um, sort of reimagining of the British Raj, okay. um, sort of. But what if the, what if the, um, and I, I don't, I leave you to sort of speculate um, for most of the first book of what exactly this history is. But essentially, um, I'm sort of imagining a, a point where uh, the the Earth has has colonized other planets in the solar system, but there's this sort of increasingly fundamentalist Christian environment, increasingly repressive environment. So a group of people from India and the Middle East um, who essentially feel like their religious freedom isn't being respected up and okay. leave and, and go hmm. to their own planet. And <clears throat> this is a lot of sort of colonial issues and, and political issues and, and sort of this sort of struggle to, to come to terms with the other. And this girl um, runs away from home and ends up, in this other planet um, where she is really a fish okay. out of water. And it's sort of about her struggling to, to find herself. But I think, you know, science fiction fans don't like the fact that there's romance. <laughs> romance fans don't like the fact right. there's science fiction. So um, it's, it's been, it's been a, yeah. a, a tough But sell. that devoted um, following you have, they wouldn't even have the opportunity to be a devoted followers if you had followed your agent's advice, right? Because those well, elements exactly. that you have in there and would not be in there, right? Exactly. And I think part of it is, um, you know, if I would still write if I were on a desert island and I had no hope of anyone reading yeah. anything I wrote. And, um, you know, I love my fans. I love connecting to them. And, and uh, it's, it's a great experience. It's very fulfilling. But at the same time, I think... Um, you have to write for reasons other than wanting to sell your book or, or make mm -hmm. a certain amount of money at it because that you right. have no control over. You know, the only thing you can really say at the end of the day is, you know, am I proud of, of this novel? Is this my absolute best effort? And then, you know, if people are love it or hate it. That's distressing, but <laughs> it's not so bad yeah. because you know that, you know, it's your baby and it's, you know, it's, it's what you yeah. wanted to create. And I'm much happier with people um, hating something that I think is my best work and that I think is a really great story and that tells the story I want to tell, then, you know, maybe selling another couple thousand copies and, you know, of a story that I really wasn't proud to have my, yeah. my name. Yeah. Cause then if people hate it, you agree with them, right? <laughs> and you're like, right. yeah, you're right. It wasn't that good. And that's no, that's no fun. <laughs> right. Um, but then it well, exactly. And, uh, and then I, uh, one of my, one of my majors in, in college was medieval history. And, um, so it's been, a just, you know, sort of my, my, my first love academically and, and fascinating to me. And so the, um, the second novel that I, I wrote, um, was actually the first one that I published is called the demon of darkling reach. And 
that has some fantastical elements, but it's it's set in sort of a fantasy reimagining of medieval England um, that's as historically accurate as I can make it. And one thing that's been very interesting about that is people's expectations of what constitutes medieval. Um, You know, they sort of have this fantasy of everyone going around in, you know, purple plate armor going, you know, thee and thou and, you know, the lady doth protest too much. And, um, you know, they, they don't necessarily have a sense of of what life was really like then um that you know women actually did a lot more Mm. than people think um and uh you know a lot of a lot of our stereotypes are are incorrect um i thought it was interesting to to play with that and sort of do my own take on uh you know what i thought it would, would really be like you know living living in the high middle ages um, but it's, uh, it's about a girl who, who gets together with a, um, with a flesh eating demon, um, in order to sort of, she makes sort of a devil's bargain, um, to save a member of her family and things disintegrate from there. That sounds good. Yeah. So it's historically <laughs> accurate with a flesh eating demon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's historically yeah. accurate as I can make it with yeah. a flesh eating yeah. demon, but it makes um, me think of um, the, you know, obviously, you know, the song of uh, Fire and Ice, George R.R. Yes. Martin's series. And th- I find that really interesting because it feels historically accurate, even though it's not even set on Earth, right? Or w- right. that we know of, right? It's it's this mythical place with these, right? It doesn't look like yeah. Earth at all. But somehow you get the sense that it's, it's old-timey, right? That's just how things were, well, in the, right? Well, he based, he based his um, series loosely on the, the events of the, the War of the Roses and mm-hmm. – Right. Which, when you're when you're a history buff, makes reading his books kind of discouraging in a way because a lot of the sort of big events, like the Red Wedding, were were not a shock to me. Uh-huh. Um, because I I you know my my take on it was always that Rob Stark was you know more than loosely based on Edward VI, so I was expecting something gruesome to happen. Um, I think I think Daenerys is is supposed to be Henry Henry the Seventh and is gonna. Gonna come uh, back and, see, it's, and we'll being, see. Being ignorant of history makes uh, <laughs> makes things interesting for me because I don't know all this <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I have vague recollections from a history class in college, but it's about <laughs> it. So sorry, <laughs> but that's great. So you um, so you how many novels do you have in total? Eleven. Out, out in the world. Okay, eleven, and then you've got a couple eleven not books. Eleven books total. Um, nine of those are are novels, and two are nonfiction. Okay, and I've read um, your self-publishing is for losers, mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to read your other nonfiction book because you keep referring to it in <laughs> <laughs> there. I was like, oh, I better read this too, but you know, I haven't had time. So, but um, and it's I, I find it really interesting. Um, I have not read your fiction yet, um, but I will put it on the list. <laughs> you know, the, the flesh-eating demon sounds interesting to me. So I like, I like to think so. I'm I'm working on the third book in the trilogy right now. And- okay. I get I get angry emails um, from fans uh, fairly frequently. You know, where's the third book? Where's the third book? I need to know what's happening. Um, but the uh, the Demon of Darkland Reach um, it's definitely been my my most popular book and series to date, and it's uh, it's the book that funded my son's college fund. Nice. So I, I owe it a lot. <laughs> um, but it's um and and that's one of the one of the things that I that I talk about in course in self-publishing is for losers is as far as getting your name out there, I think the best thing you can do is give your book away for free. Mm. Um, you know, I have sample chapters of, of pretty much everything on my website and then periodically, you know, because I am self-published, I can give my books away for free on Amazon. Um, and that has, has been tremendously successful as a marketing tool, yeah. you know, and I feel like, you know, I don't want, it does happen. You know, I, I, got an Amazon review recently. Someone was very disappointed that my book about a demon turned out to be a demon and she didn't like that. But Hmm. I would much rather have people read the book, read the first five chapters, read the whole book um, and see rather than sort of con them into buying something that they're not going to like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You want, yeah, you want readers to know what they're getting into because you want them to like your stuff, (laughs) right? Right. Because you give away the first one, you can sell the next two. Right. Well, if it's, you know, if you have confidence in your product, you know, yeah. the first hit's free. Right. Right. Yeah. Like a drug dealer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's hard, though, when um, like I know when like so 
I'm I'm more towards the beginning of a self-publishing career in a way, um, but I've got a whole different background, you know, academic background and all this stuff. And I know that for a lot of people, the first thing you write or the first thing you want to publish, it's your only thing, and you hold that. People tend to hold tightly yeah. onto that, you know. Um, I don't think I'm going to have that problem myself, but I know it's common, right? It is. And, yeah. You know, once you have 11 novels, then then you can say, okay, well, I can play with this a little bit. I can give this away. I can reduce that price. I can, you know, you can do different things with it, right? Um, I think that's what people don't understand about self-publishing. It's 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 about volume to a large extent if you want to make money at it, right? Well, if you want to be successful. People, and that's what people don't realize is, um, like one of the examples that I give with the Demon of Darkling Reach is what really put it on the map was giving it away for free, and. Um, so what I did was, you know, it had been out um, initially, you know, its sales were, you know, OK, whatever. But nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew anything about the book. Right. And I um, so I made it available free for the full five day period that KDP gives you. And in that um, I stopped counting when I reached about uh, 5000 free copies that I'd given away. And, you know, I think this the sort of false paradigm that, that people set up for themselves is that by doing that, they're missing out on, you know, the $10,000 that they would have earned by, you know, making, you know, if, they, if they'd sold those 5,000 copies. And what they forget right. is that, you know, nobody was going to buy that book. Right. You know, it had no reviews. Nobody knew who it was. Yeah. Um, and it still only has 33 reviews, which is an issue with uh, self-published authors in particular. You know, people don't review. Yeah. Um, trolls review. Yeah. Uh, you go to if you really want to discourage yourself as an author, you know, self-publish, traditionally publish, whatever, you know, go to the the troll cave of horrible that is Goodreads. And um, but people, you know, so they they say, oh, I don't want to give my book away for free, and they don't realize that you know doing that that's what's going to give people reason to be interested in you. You know, right. nobody, you know, a lot of times I see on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, you know, basically varying versions of buy my book, buy my book, you know, yeah. it's so great. You know, yeah. nobody's, nobody's going on Twitter being like, hey, man, my book really sucks, you know, <laughs> buy yeah. it. Well, conversely, no one's on Twitter. Like, I don't know about you, but uh, because I tweet a lot about about writing and about publishing, I get a lot of people following me who are authors or I get a lot of people tweeting at me like, buy my book, buy my book. And right. I don't go on Twitter to buy books. You know, right. like, oh, look, you've got a like, even no offense. But like if, if you were to tweet at me randomly, I didn't know you. And you're like, oh, read this book about, you know, a medieval de- demon. I'm like, Ugh. No. you know, <laughs> like, why? Why should I? Well, I you uses the same phrases, you know, it's it's unput downable. That's, that's <laughs> my pet peeve phrase. You know, every single book is amazing. Uh-huh. It's ripping. It's a page turner and it's unput downable. Yeah. And, you know, and it goes back to the old the old saw about show, don't tell. You know, that's fascinating. Why don't you let me read it and decide for myself? You know, um, if it's really good, then yes. I'm not going to need you to, to tell me about it. Right. But the big the big hump you have to get over is getting it into people's uh, to people's Kindles, into people's hands, yes. right? And for you, one of the strategies was giving it away, right? Yes. And like you said, that 5,000, we'll just say 5,000 free the giveaways was not 5,000 sales that you lost. It was probably more right. like zero or one or two sales that you lost right and you you probably gained a lot of sales like a lot of people probably downloaded it never read it right it's sitting on their kindle unread they're like what is this some people might have gotten to it a long time later but a lot of those people at least enough of them went on and said oh i'm gonna buy that second book and that's what's important because that's how they got on so let me give me a timeline when when was that for the demon um i I published my my first book uh, June fifth, two thousand fourteen. Fourteen. Okay, so just yes. just that's only six months ago. Yes. We're we're recording and, in January of two thousand fifteen. Yes. So so what? So so six well, months ago I, you gave away five thousand copies. That's when you did all this, right? Yes. And okay. I've been writing for years, mm-hmm. and um, I you know was writing the, the whole time I was in, in college and law school and while I was practicing law and. Then um, I was very sick a couple of years ago um, and ended up writing uh, the first novel that I really thought was any good, which is The Price of Desire, um, while I was bedridden. And it ended up being a great opportunity because, you know, being bedridden, I didn't have a whole lot going on. And um, so I finished that novel and, um, and then I wrote The Demon of Darkman Reach. And I kept writing. And, um, 
I, uh, you know, eventually, you know, while I was shopping things around to agents and I was sort of trying to decide, you know, <clears throat> what's going to happen next? What's my, my overall strategy here? Um, you know, I was building up this backlog. Um, so then by the time I decided to publish, um, I had a fair bit under my belt. Okay. Um, and I'd written, uh, I'd written The Price of Desire and its sequel, and I'd written The Demon of Darkling Reach. And then I, um, I had started The White Queen, which is a sequel to Demon of Darkling Reach. And then I put it down for a while because I had some other things I wanted to work on. And then I finished The White Queen over the summer and published that. And, um, and then I, I went back and, and I put out a book of short stories, um, some of which I had been tinkering with off and on for, for some time. And, and the, um, the, a lot of my nonfiction books, um, you know, I just, I had, they came very quickly because I had a lot to say. And, uh, and then I wrote, um, and then I wrote The Prince's Slave, um, which is a very dark modern retelling of Beauty and the Beast, okay. um, which has, uh, you know, a, a fair bit of fair bit of sex in it and fair bit of violence. And I think fans of uh, fans of erotic thrillers and, and fans of fairy tales will really enjoy it. <laughs> sex, um, violence and fairy tales. Yeah, look, it sounds good. <laughs> fairy tales are really very violent if you yes. think about it. Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, and trying yeah. to trying to translate Beauty and the Beast um, into a, a modern framework, I think, you know, people people don't realize that, um, you know, what the story is really about because most modern efforts at translating the story don't make a lot of sense. Right. Um, but here is someone who is, is just, you know, completely undervalued by society, ignored, um, you know, used, and and that's something that I think is is you know a very current issue. You know, we do not live in a world that treats women so great. And I think you know it it shouldn't be as hard to unfortunately it shouldn't be as hard to translate this idea of um, you know a woman being being abused and taken advantage of into a, a modern context as people make it. You know. This is not about, you know, that the beast, you know, had a scar, so she didn't like him because he had a scar. You know, this is about someone who's, you know, evil on the inside. Um, and the original spell, of course, the, um, the original fairy tale, which was, was written by a woman, um, is very feminist, uh, is, um, you know, that his, his outside matches inside. And, uh, you know, so this girl comes along and, um, is basically sold into indentured servitude by her father. Um, and, you know, so I was, was looking at it from the perspective of what, you know, is the modern equivalent of women being bought and sold like objects. And I say, well, women are bought and sold by, you know, like objects all over the world. Yeah. Quite literally. Um, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that why I said it, you know, in terms of, of human trafficking, because this is something that, um, that happens all the time. And when I was in law school, it was, um, it was what I wrote my, uh, my thesis on. Okay. Uh, sexual exploitation. Um, actually in, in, in my case, it was in a, uh, in, in the setting of federal prison. Um, but, uh, my, you know, research group that I was working with, we, we studied, all kinds of different exploitation situations and, and went and interviewed a, a number of different people. So, you know, that was um, something that I, I knew something about and um, the framework for her confusion about what's happening to her. I originally got the idea about uh, six years ago when I was interviewing um, Bosnian refugees okay. and hearing about their stories of, surviving um prison camps and some of the things that they were subjected to there and i thought you know this is a really under underrepresented viewpoint and and story and you know these women are essentially voiceless and um you know putting that in in terms of the, the fairy tale i think that's you know it's really about you know the original beauty and the beast is really about a woman you know carving her own happily ever after out of a 
out of a terrible situation. Mm. You know, she, she tells the beast what's up and, um, you know, he treats her like shit and she tells him she's not going to stand for it and she leaves. And ultimately, you know, for her own reason, she decides to come back. But, um, you know, I think it's, it, it does, you know, it's a nuanced story and I think it does it so much disservice to sort of look at it as like, Oh, you know, you know, girl, girl gets together with a rich man is able to overlook the fact that he's ugly (laughs) or mean or right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's great. So, um, I'm still kind of reeling about your, your schedule a little bit, you know, um, I see, a, I see, I do see a theme, right. It's in a lot of your work is from what you've said so far about, mm-hmm. um, kind of, uh, empowerment of women. Right. Yes. Um, and trying to, uh, escape, sorry, I'm, uh, trying to escape, um, bad situations, basically abusive yes. or, or, you know, kind of, um, well, mostly abusive, I guess. Um, and that's great. And that stuff, like you said, that sometimes doesn't fly in mainstream or people th- are afraid that it won't fly in mainstream, right. uh, literature, movies, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, because it's, they're very agents and, and whatnot are very risk averse. Right. And they want something that already works. And so you're doing something that's different because you can, right? Yes, exactly. But, so when you wrote, so we, I'm sorry, I want to get, come, go back a little bit. When you published, um, your first novel in June of 2014, how many had you already written? I had written, let's see, I'd written one that went on to be publishable works. I'd written three. Okay. Um, that I, have never published, um, I want to say five. Um, the first novel that I ever wrote, which I completed when I was 18, um, and I just turned 31 a couple months ago, but finished my first novel when I was 18. It was, it was absolutely dreadful. Um, but I ended up, there was a, a kernel there that, that I really liked. Um, and I went back and actually, uh, took 10,000, 10,000 words out of uh, a 90,000 word uh, manuscript Mm -hmm. and reworked it and turned it into a short story. And it it told me something about how far I'd come as a writer that, you know, everything that I was trying to say in 90,000 words, I really was actually able to say, you know, perfectly clearly in in less than 10. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, (laughs) Right. So it's great to be able to to go back and, and look. Um, you said but before. I'm, oh, sorry. I was gonna say no, you said. No. I think it was before we started recording. You said you threw away a million words before you yes. started publishing, right? Yeah. Yes. And I hear that a lot. You know, for people who who throw away huge amounts of words, which sounds maybe crazy to some people, right? But you know, that's just kind of like cleaning out the <laughs> whatever, you know. They don't think of it the right way. They think of it as like these are all finished products. These are great, but they're not. They're they're training. You know, yeah. you have to look at it. It's like, you know, if your final novel is, you know, your your NBA debut, mm-hmm. you know, writing up until that point, you know, you're training. And yeah. every time you don't get it right, you know, it's like you don't wait to do your first layup until you're, you know, standing at the line and, and the cameras are on you. Right. You know, you practice your layups for, mm-hmm. for years. Yeah. And, the, and the other thing, too, is, you know, going back to the, to the basketball analogy, you know, a lot of times – you know, people don't realize it's like you can't know what position you're going to play until you've practiced. You know, you can't know what your strengths are. You have to practice for, for months and even years before you really know, you know, this is who I am as a player or indeed a writer. And then, you know, once you, you sort of begin to build that sense of identity, then you know how to play to your strengths. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're not going to know whether you should be the, the center or the point guard, you know, until you've been playing for a while. Um and, you know, some people are, are really good at, uh, you know, one, um, you know, one type of, of fiction, you know, like my husband, uh, my husband writes YA uh-huh. and, uh, I, you know, I could not write YA, <laughs> my life depended on it. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, all of my books tend to be very dark. Um, and you know, people either love that or they hate it, but uh-huh. you know, and, and he writes, writes things that are uplifting and and really make you want to <laughs> you know a perfect go out co- and have an adventure um a perfect couple so. you guys yin and yang right <laughs> the two of you yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah yeah let me ask you uh let me ask you a question uh with your analogy because this is and this is i want to know this personally because it, this is something that i struggle with so with the basketball analogy you have coaches 
who mm-hmm. tell you if you're good enough or what you should do and all that stuff. And you have like a, you know, practice and you have games that don't, you know, whatever that you go through your career. Right. And in the old days of publishing, you kind of knew if it was good enough when you submitted to an agent or to a publisher and they said, yes, that's when you're like, Oh yay, Right. Which is, we know not true. It's, it was, you probably, a lot of people, there's, I can't even imagine how much good work went unpublished in the last century or whatever or more right. um but when you're particularly self- if you had the disadvantage of of being either not male or not white yeah true yeah yep uh, and so when you're self-publishing the question is for me is how do you know when you're done practicing and you're ready to play well i think there's a couple of of levels of that first of all um, nothing is going to take the place of honest self-evaluation because you're not ready to have other people tell you whether something's good or bad or what's wrong with it until you're ready to hear that. Yeah. And you have to start by, by really, you know, doing an honest inventory of, am I ready for this? Am I ready to, you know, to hear the criticism? And I think that you have to do enough writing where you're, you sort of gain some confidence in your, in yourself as a writer, um, to know that you can improve. Um, I think sometimes, you know, people can be very brittle when, you know, they've written like one short story and they show it to people and they're like, oh, well, this needs improvement. And they just like, they freak out because it's like, this is the first thing I've ever finished. And oh my gosh, and, <laughs> and, you know, this is, this is terrible. And um, so you've done enough writing to get a sense of your own mistakes, you know, and see how you're maybe progressing over time. Um, then you know, when you really feel like you're ready to hear criticism, um, the, the one, the one piece of advice, if I, if I could condense all of the advice I've ever given everyone in one line, um, I've, I've coached myself, uh, for, for some time, um, both writing and basketball. But if I could condense all of the advice I've ever given anyone into one line, it's don't take advice from anyone you don't want to be more like. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so once you're ready to show your work to people, um, I think the next step is to find some beta readers. And I know some people, you know, they, they just go nuts with the beta readers. They, they send it to like 70 people and they take everyone's, you know, corrections really seriously. And, and what I tell people when I ask them to read my book, you know, which is usually, usually start with my husband is, you know, I'm not looking for an editor. I, I'm looking for a reader, yeah. you know, read it. And, and if it's boring, tell me, you know, yeah. Um, just to get a sense of, you know, is this story any interesting, you know, are my characters, you know, does anyone sort of have any, any major problems? And so I usually let a couple people read it. Um, and then the next step is to hire a professional editor. Yeah. Um, and I just cannot stress how enough, how enough, how important that is. And, um, you know, find someone, um, whose work you, you trust. And I think most, you know, an editor who's any good, you know, most professionals, right, they're going to have a portfolio and they're going to tell you, you know, these are books I've edited. This is who you can contact um, to talk about their experience. And, you know, a professional editor is not cheap, yeah. um, but it's it's absolutely worth it because this is someone who and people forget this a lot of times. You know, they're, you're paying them to criticize you. This is someone who is on your side right. and better to hear the criticism from someone who's on your side than from the readers who are like, this stinks. You know, this is the worst piece of crap I've ever read. Um, and then of course, you know, it's up to you whether you want to take your editor's advice, you know, they might be wrong. Um, because you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, not all criticism is created equal and right. the only person who can really know whether your work's any good is you. Yeah. And that's a, that's tricky. Right. It is. Because, you know, going back to throw the guy, uh, you know, for me, for example, I have a, I wrote a uh, short novel about a year and a half ago, reread it, decided to completely rewrote write it. I rewrote the mm-hmm. entire thing. And now I'm kind of afraid to look at it because, you know, I'm just afraid to look at it again. And and lately I've come to the point where, like, I know I need an editor. I'm going to need an editor. I need to go through it once again myself and ask myself, is this good? Do the beta reader thing. But then. It's just only recently that I've come to the point where I'm like, you know what? If I had to throw that away, I'll throw that away. And, yeah. and I think at first that wasn't an option. It was like, this is something I'm going to publish. But now I'm like, you know what? If I just have to be honest. If it sucks, it sucks, you know, and that's, that's right. all I can do. I don't think it does. I think it's actually 
decent, but but um, but you know, you get to that point where like, okay, is it ready for the beta readers? Is it ready for the editor? You know, that's and that's something right. like you said, you have to find inside in yourself, right? Like, do you trust yourself? Do you trust your own writing? And I think that's where writing in volume helps, right? Yes, if it's it you know, when when that novel is one of three that I've got, or or it's one of whatever, you know, then I'm like, okay, well, I can probably look at it more objectively. Right. And that's just true for anybody well, that, starting out, I think. Well, and that's my advice is, you know, people say, well, you know, what should I do once I've once I've finished my manuscript? And the advice I always give them is write another one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the thing that people need to remember is if they're averse to the idea of, you know, writing all day, every day, they don't want to be a novelist because that's pretty much all you do. Yeah. You know, um, and if, if that doesn't really turn you on and, and, and just get you pumped to get out of bed in the morning, then it's probably not the right career for you you know life is too short um you know for me you know my schedule is pretty much um you know i get up at at five and i work for a couple of hours until my husband and son get up and i i get them out the door and and you know off to their activities and then i write from uh nine to about four um my when my son's done with school and um that's just pretty much you know Five five days a week. Yeah. That's the that's the program. And that's why you have eleven novels <laughs> so far, yes. and two nonfiction books published right now, right? Well, yeah. and that's the thing. A lot of times too, when people they worry so much about like, oh, you know, what if it's not good? What if what if I have a bad writing day? And it's like, well, you're gonna have a bad writing uh, day. You're gonna yeah. have days where you you write something, and you know, I've had days where where I just stare at the computer screen, and I was like, this is this is terrible, and. And, and those are the days when, you know, you just have to, you know, get outside, go for a run, you know, whatever. But um, or days when you think you've you've had this amazing experience and you, you and then you come back the next day and you read what you wrote and you're like, gosh, you know, I, I wrote 7000 words of crap. Um, you know, when I was writing the, the White Queen, I wrote the first half of it, started writing the second half of it, realized that, you know, everything that I was writing was was just unbelievably bad and started another book. Because <laughs> sometimes, you know, it's better to just, you know, if you just keep, you know, hitting a wall, it's better to go yeah. on to a different project yes. and, and yes. go back to it. Yes. Um, but, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, they're they're so afraid of, of you know, failure. And, and it sucks. The first time, you know, you get a batch of one star reviews, it's it's <laughs> it's very disheartening. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Right. Exactly. So you might as well at the end of the day, you know. It's your life. You have to live it. Nobody else is. You know, all the people who are telling you, oh, this is a stupid ambition. You suck. You know, they don't have to live your life and they don't have to live with your regrets, but you do. Exactly. That's exactly so, right. Might as well just get out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I like that. Do you uh, do you work on different things simultaneously or are you just one project and then and then the next? One one project and, and then the next. Um, sometimes, like, while I was writing The, uh, the Prince's Slave, I had a lot of... And then when I was redoing our kitchen, which we decided to do ourselves before Christmas, which was perhaps overly ambitious, but, um, you know, Ikea for the win. Yay. But, yeah. <laughs> I did take a lot of notes for The Black Prince, which I'm working on now, the sequel to uh, The Demon of Darkling Reach and The White Queen. But when I'm writing, I really have to, to focus 100% on that project and those characters and, and yeah. you know, what's... It's a lot like method acting. You know, I really have to spend so much time thinking about what's their motivation. Um, and each each character, I, I spend so much time in their head and, and seeing things from their point of view that, I, you know, I'm sure there are some people who can brain a lot better than I can. And, you know, they can do that with, in, you know, in simultaneous worlds, but mm-hmm. not me. Yeah, some people can. Um, I, I end up switching back and forth between fiction and nonfiction. I can do that. Mm-hmm. But... Writing two different fiction things, yeah, it's it's harder, right? Because you want to be in that world, yeah. right? Because if, you, yeah. if you're away from it for too long, you have to relearn it yourself, which is why speed is important too, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you you need to go as as fast as as you can go while, you know, telling telling the story yeah. you you want to tell. And I don't. I guess what I mean is consistency, not speed necessarily, yeah. like a daily or nearly daily practice, right? Not taking yes. a month off. That's like that's what I mean by speed. I think is consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes people sort of have this fantasy that you know being being any kind of artist means you know being being artistic in the sense of just you know oh, I'm gonna go outside and gaze at the clouds for for a few hours or months <laughs> or whatever. 
you know, it's, it's, uh, ice tea was right. You know, it's a, it's a fun job, but it's still a job. Yeah. And, um, you really need to need to get out there and, and commit to it. Are you talking um, about Ice-T, like the, Ice-T the Rapper? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just making sure. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's actually he's, uh, got some, some surprisingly good, uh, maybe to some people, surprisingly good uh, life coaching advice. But yeah. I, uh, I, I, think, I met him once. Really? I'll tell you the advice he gave me. I, uh, <laughs> this is so stupid. Totally off topic. Um, we, I was at a, his show, a Body Count. Remember his mm-hmm. metal band Body Count that he had? Um, and we saw him like kind of walking around, and we went up and said, hey, dude, what's up? You know, whatever. And uh, he's like, hey, guys. And he's all looking around all suspiciously. He's like, oh, hey, watch <laughs> out for the criminals out there, the ones with guns and badges. And he walks away. <laughs> This is before we played a cop on TV. So you mentioned Ice-T. I was like, Ice-T? <laughs> yeah, watch out for the criminals with guns and badges, which, you know, I think there's some truth to that. But anyway, but he I was – so, but... <laughs> so what was the advice that you took from Ice-T? Um, well, he – you know, that it's a – basically that, that it's, it's a fun job, but it's still a job. Sure, is, yeah, is yeah. He said. You have to – you know, the same rules apply, um, you know, as as with, with any job. You know, it's, it's about work ethic, yeah. and um, there's no – there's no job in which, um, you know, work ethic isn't the deciding factor mm. of success. You know, however much talent you have, it doesn't matter if you don't do anything with it. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, there, it's like both both Larry Bird and Michael Jordan were, were cut from their high school basketball teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Einstein was was told that 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 he was going to be a terrible failure and, and wasn't smart. And actually, a a kid I went to high school with, um, who's now a nuclear physics professor, was um, put in stupid people physics. I remember because he had a teacher who told him that you know he would just never amount to anything, yeah. and, and you know he should it's probably move furniture for a living. Um, so you you have to you know you have to to sort of be persistent and um, you know do what what it's in your heart to do, but actually do it. Yeah. And you know nobody's gonna. Nobody's going to come along. And you know, if I had a dime for, for everyone who told me when I was in law school, oh, I thought of going to law school. And it's like, well, you know, that's great. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and it's not that, that I'm so much smarter than they are. I just did it. Right. You know? Um, and I think, you know, people people can sort of convince themselves that they're that they're waiting for the for the right time. You know, there is no right time. There's there's now and, and then there's, you know, eventually you die. Exactly. Um, yep. So you need to. I think sometimes, you know, they don't like that advice. They think it's mean or whatever, but it's like encouraging someone to sit on the couch is what's mean. Yeah. You know? Um, well, you're, uh, <laughs> if anybody wants to hear PJ talk about this in the same direct manner, read her nonfiction, right? Or your blog, <laughs> in fact. You know, you're very, very, a very straight shooter when it comes to that. You know, you're, you, 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 break the illusions you know that people have about writing about publishing and about self-publishing and sometimes it's stuff people don't want to hear i think you know you're probably i mean i love it but you're probably a polarizing figure in some ways i'm sure there are people who just hate your your advice oh, or don't yes. like your style or whatever you know i get um, i get fascinating and very creative hate mail oh bet um, i bet yeah yeah <laughs> So you're not going to get any from me. You might get some from, you know, my listeners. Who knows? Probably not, but maybe. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, PJFoxWrites.com, you know, come on over and, and, and tell me how awful I am. There you go. And um, I'll uh, put a link in the show notes for, for that as well, <laughs> right? Excellent. So, hey, so one of the things I noticed in your in your book, um, you, you give some really good advice, and it's, it's advice that – I, I haven't heard in other places necessarily uh, some of it because uh, a lot of it's you talk about in um, in self-publishing is for losers. You, you say, you know, self-publishing is not for everybody. Who Here's who it's not for. Here's what it is. And, right. you know, kind of the, the main message is what you're telling me right now. It's, it's a business. It, it comes down to work ethic. You know, and you have to be honest with yourself. That's basically, you know, in a nutshell what you've been saying today. And I think that's what I got from it. But you also have some very right. practical advice about um, startup costs, spending money, um, you know, what it's going to take, you know, because like you say, it's a business, having a business plan, you know, being realistic um, and right. stuff like that, which I think is some of that stuff is stuff I haven't seen in other places. And I, I read and listen to a lot of this stuff, as oh. you know. But one thing that came up that um, I, I'd like you to talk about, if you don't mind, is uh, is Evil Toad Publishing. Yes. Okay. So you have, can you explain that? Sure. Um, my, my husband and I, um, we're both lawyers and we're both writers and we, um, 
when we decided to take the plunge and self-publish, um, we noticed uh, just a huge gap in terms of what was available as self-publishing services um, for authors. And, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of snake oil salesmen who will, you know, sell, sell you basically the writing equivalent of, of some sort of Bernie Madoff type scheme of, you know, buy this book and it will, it will teach you how to write a bestseller in a week and you're going to be a millionaire and it's going to be amazeballs. And, <laughs> Um, but there really wasn't a lot of practical advice about like, well, where do I go to, to get a, a cover made for me? You know, what's the difference between cover art and a cover, you know, and, and a lot of sort of basic things. Um, you know, how do I find an editor? How do I find a copy editor? Um, how do I find someone to format my book? So we decided to start Evil Toad Press, um, which you know, we, that's the imprint that we publish our own books under. Um, but also, you know, we do offer a la carte services, um, for authors. Uh, we do covers. So if you like my book covers, that's where they all come from. Um, my husband moonlighted as a graphic designer the whole time we were in law school. That was how we ate. Nice. And, um, you know, and we, so we do all of our own stuff and, you know, we do, offer services for other people. We'll help them build their web page and we'll help them get started with, you know, really, really whatever they need. And we offer consulting services as well as, you know, specific things. And the name actually um, comes from the nickname that we gave our son. Um, <laughs> because when he was, when he was little, um, he would, would really from the first time that he rolled over, he would sleep in, in what we called the toad position. Mm -hmm. um, just roll over, butt in the air. Yep. I can imagine um, it. Yep. <laughs> and, and go right to sleep. And we oh, would, please. we would look at him in his crib and think, Oh, he looks just like a toad, you know, a very large and pale toad. But so what that was the evil part. Well, is your son evil? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's related to me. Yeah, so well. I guess that's <laughs> I don't know. We, we were just talking about it and it sort of came to us and okay. we thought, well, you know, that works. When you first um, said so it, it came from your son, I, I, I thought the evil part as well. So just the toad part. I got you. Okay. Just the toad part. <laughs> okay. It's a great name. Um, but, but then we thought, you know, well, my books are kind of dark. Let's, let's go with evil toad. And, yeah. um, but it's really, you know, um, it's, I don't want to say that we're, we're doing it for him because, you know, we're not in the sense of, you know, we're, this is a, this is about our careers, but at the same time, you know, I think once you are a parent, you're also doing everything for your child in the sense that you are setting the, an example for them. And you're, uh, you know, paying the bills and and providing a, a home and food. Um, and so we wanted to to do that. And, uh, you know, going out on your own is hard anyway. But yeah. once you're a parent, it's especially terrifying. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we really wanted to 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 do something that was about our values and our ethics and being true to our own artistic ideal. And and so I think putting our, our son's name on that was was fitting yeah no that's great i think that's wonderful uh I, I agree with you there's a there's a gap right now in the market with um of of kind of like a one-stop shop because if you're if you're going to self-publish you need a good cover and this is like gospel for most people you need a good cover you need a good editor but then you you google editors or you find a list and there are a million editors and there are a gazillion cover editors and they do it's eh, right and i think that i've always thought it would be nice to have something like what you're desc describing where someone who will who's not a middleman is going to take you know 30 percent in perpetuity of what you do right. or whatever but somebody that you can pay a fair price and they will like kind of manage that stuff and maybe like you said a la carte or in total and i think that's um i don't know of a lot of that and so well, it seems there like isn't and one thing that upsets me and you know all of the examples that i give in the book um some of them are are pretty crazy I realize, but this is all real stuff that, that I have encountered. And, um, I, uh, you know, I encountered one author who paid more in Facebook advertising than I paid to go to law school. Oh my gosh. And, you know, this is out there yeah. and there are so many people who, you know, and that's why, you know, self-publishing is for losers. The title is a sort of tongue in cheek because, you know, so many people are just out there waiting to take advantage of, of that ego that people have. And, you know, these these middlemen who set themselves up as, quote, publishers, um, 
you know, and they're taking a cut basically to, you know, manage your KDP page for you. Right. Um, or to, you know, put something, <laughs> put something for sale on, on Barnes and Noble. And I've made myself very unpopular by pointing out to people, you know, you can do that for yourself. Yeah. You know, you don't need to give someone half of your, your, your profits for this. And they sit there telling me, Oh no, that's, that's how publishing works. You know? And I'm like, well, yes, but let, you know, and that's why I, I include the chapter of, you know, who is your publisher really? Right. Um, because the mechanics of this, you know, unless you you really arm yourself by by knowing exactly what you're doing, um, you know, people can talk a good game and they will come along and they will absolutely convince you that you need, you know, whatever service they're offering. And the other problem, too, as far as like honestly evaluating editors and, and things like that is there are so many flakes. Um, and I've dealt with a few of them myself. You know, we had one guy who approached us and wanted to do an audible version of the price of desire. And I was like, fine. And, and, um, you know, he didn't ask us for, for any money up front. We had talked about an exchange of goods and services and, you know, that's legit. And that can be a great, uh, a great thing too, that I think people don't, don't think of is, um, you know, exchanging goods and services, you know, most of us don't have too much extra money to throw around. So if one person, you know, is a really good copy editor and the other person's a graphic designer, bingo. Yeah. Um, and this guy just, you know, uh, dropped off the face of the earth. Mm. And there's a lot of that out there. Yeah. You know, I think people, they come into this industry thinking, you know, they're going to make a quick buck. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that, you know, you, you write a book or you do a cover or you record a, an audio version or whatever. And it's like, what do you do? You know, you, you sit down and, and do the next one. Yeah. And I think that can be, that can be off putting yeah. to people, but, you know, thinking that you're going to publish one book and, and now be a millionaire is sort of like thinking you're going to, going to go into work that first day, have a really great first day at work and then retire. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Get your whole salary and just retire. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's, I think that's good. I've run into some flakiness myself, but like I'd rather flakiness is better than like a con man, right? Like someone who's trying to con you. So that's, you know, those are different things, but they're both kind of frustrating, you know? But, uh, but yeah, I think that's a good, I think that's a good thing because I, it's, it's like, I think a lot of self publishers want to do everything themselves. Um, (laughs) but a lot don't. Right. And, you know, I mean, I think I could do everything myself except the cover and I would never edit my own stuff because I know better. Right. I've written enough to know how to edit my own stuff. So that, that, that makes sense. Um, just out you know, I can edit, right. But not, you know, right. you miss your own it's, mistakes, you know, it's the emotional but, involvement. Oh too. yeah. It's totally. Like, there's yeah. an adage in, yeah. in legal practice, an uh, attorney who represents himself has a fool for a client. Yeah. And it's like that with editing, <laughs> yes. you know, you're, you're emotionally involved in your yeah. own case. Yeah. Um, so don't do it. Yeah. You know, and leave it to someone who hasn't been, you know, obsessing over the internal monologue of this character for nine months to tell you, you know, why chapter 12 has to go. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree completely. So, yeah, I'm glad that you're doing that. And I might even contact you at some point, maybe <laughs> for, for some of those services. Excellent. We'll see. I'm still shopping around a little bit. But um, but you have good advice in the book about that, too. If people want to pick that up, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, so people can buy that and to your, and to your fiction as well. Yeah. And well, with the, with both of the, both the, the writing book and the, and the publishing book, um, I wanted to give people some advice that, you know, whether they hire me or, or someone Mm -hmm. else, um, you know, I wanted to, you know, give them some unbiased advice because, you know, it's not, Oh, you should, you should hire us or you should hire this person or that person. It's here's some advice that hopefully you can use, you know, to empower yourself. Um, because I, you know, like I say in the book, I have I have no vested interest in, you know, the, the purpose of the book is is to, you know, sell the book. I, I think there's something worthwhile to say, but yeah. you know, once you've spent your your two ninety nine, um <laughs> right. you know, that's as that's as far as it's gonna go. Yeah. And I want to you know, I don't think there are there's enough role models in this industry. You know, there's this scarcity mentality and, and everyone's sort of convinced that you know, if you, if you help another author, then, you know, that, that's somehow going to negatively impact your, your book sales or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and people are very jealous with their information. And, and I think that, you know, we can only all benefit by helping each other and, and, and sharing what we know. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no sense in everyone just sort of reinventing the wheel in, in their own house, right. you know, yeah. and with a writing book, a lot of it, um, 
there's there's overtones of memoir too because I talk about um, you know how I you know some of the things that happened in my childhood and and how that led me to uh, writing and and what some of my life experiences have taught me about writing and um, what's worth writing about. Um, so you know anyone who wants to hear the sordid details of my childhood should totally pick that up. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we're, we're approaching an hour here, so we should probably, I guess, start to wrap up. Uh, the only thing I want yes, anyone who is still listening to me talk should get like, a little gold star, you know, just stick it right to the computer. Right. There you go. <laughs> uh, I think at some point you talk about um, getting to know other authors through your uh, nonfiction books. I think you're also, you're speaking to writers, and I think that you're probably yes. creating or, or joining a community as well. And I think that's really important. Well, that's what I'm looking to do also around my blog. Yeah. Is, and I. I wish I got more feedback than I do because one thing I, I periodically remind people, you know, I can sort of guess this is a topic that, that might be interesting to cover, but you know, it's, it works the best when people tell me, you know, yeah. this is an issue I'm dealing with yeah. um, and get reader feedback. And um, it's, it's like reviews. And I, d I did a post about this a while ago um, with a, a, using a YouTube video as an example of, you know, the tiny percentage of people who, who watch something or read something who, who leave any kind of feedback yeah. and you know, for, for every, you know, 5,000 hits on my blog, I might, I might get one comment. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the other thing too, is, is people, people need to, to speak up and um, you know, I think be more willing to, to commune. And I think if we, you know, the more we can build a community, um, you know, the, the better off we're, we're going to be also too, you know, being a writer, it's a hard job. There's a lot of rejection. It's, it's a very emotionally challenging job mm -hmm. and, you know, knowing other writers and being able to, to get a good laugh out of the situation is, is very cathartic. And I think, you know, really replaces what can be a, just a, a very damaging and, and humiliating ordeal sometimes with, <laughs> yeah. and lonely. you know, with, with, and lonely with, yeah. you know, friendship and, and, and seeing, you know, being able to laugh is invaluable. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, that's something that, you know, not just with, with, you know, my efforts, but I, that I would really like to see happen with, particularly with self-publishing over the next few years is, is really see people, um, you know, starting to mentor each other and, and, and just get together for a good laugh. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, you know, one of the reasons I started this podcast was to talk to people who are in similar situations to me and interested in the same things. Um, and that's either writing, education, and or technology. But if you look back through the archive so far, it's mostly writers, <laughs> right? You know, I talked to the self-publishing guys and uh, Jim Kukrell and uh, Simon Whistler and then Ashley, right? Ashley Carlson mm -hmm. is the one that yes. put us in touch. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, even like I read her book. I, I loved it. Uh, the charismatics and I still haven't left a review for her. <laughs> so even like, and I will, but you know, even like with the best intentions, it just, you know, things get, so, you know, things get ahead of you and, and trust me uh, about the review thing. Um, try podcasting. You know, I, I, I can see yeah. my stats. I've got a decent and growing listenership and no reviews on iTunes. <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it, it's just the way it is. And I don't leave reviews on iTunes that often either. So I get that. But it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's the trolls who have an agenda. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Luckily I don't have any yeah. of those yet either. <laughs> but you know, just wait. yet, yeah, I say yet, you know. But uh, you know, it's just that people don't think to do it, which is which is fine. But um, but I think you're right about the community and just meeting other people and knowing other people who are doing the same thing you're doing or doing things that you're thinking about doing that you want to do, right. and that's really important too for the just the encouragement right. and inspiration of it all, you know. And, and I, you know, I'm perfectly willing to, you know, happy to tell people what I think I've done wrong too, yeah. and I think yeah. you know that's that's important. Um, but it was it was it was great to it was great to meet Ashley and uh, I have a copy of her book and um, I have I've yet to read that or anything. Um, the other night I sat down to read a book and my toddler took his diaper off and pooped on my head. Okay, that's great. So I was like, is that an editorial comment? You know, gosh, what would you rather be doing right now? That's but, an evil um, toad. Yes. <laughs> 
you'll so, you'll you will like her book when you read it because it also has um a, a a young woman as a protagonist who is you know trying to find her way and stuff like that. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I'm, yeah. sure I, I'm sure I'm sure yeah she's the guest that keeps on giving you know she <laughs> she got me in touch with you and then uh and a couple other people yeah it's great so she's wonderful but uh but you're right just knowing people and and being able to kind of grow this community I think is super huge right and it's it's still growing and it's still in its infancy right now uh really self is. self-publishing is and um it's you know I think something that people need to know about Right. I think this this is I think Hugh Howie is right that this is the golden age of publishing yeah. um, because, uh, you know, the good news and the bad news really are the same news um, that in a way the competitions differ yeah. because yeah. there are so many more books out there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, you know, you're you're in a place where the only gatekeeper is you, um, yeah. which I think yeah. is uh, it can be easy to get really discouraged, particularly, you know, because so many people do have this idea that self-publishing is for losers. Um, but in actuality, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible thing, um, to, to have this freedom. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. And, and I think that as the publishing world continues to change, um, it's going to be a, a more and more wonderful thing. I agree. And I think I people who go ahead and, and self-publish are not going to regret it. Yeah, I agree. And the wheat will separate from the chaff, you know, the, oh. the, the, the good work, the professional work will rise to the top and all the, all the other stuff will, will sink for sure. And, and as anyone you know. who's, who's seen the novelizations of Hannah Montana concerts knows <laughs> um, that something is, is published by Random House is no guarantor of quality. <laughs> That's great. Hey, I wrote that under a pen name. No, I was joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely true. Yeah, people don't realize that either. So, um, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me for an thank hour. <laughs> it's been, been a lot of fun. Yes, was this has been a lot of fun. Okay, people, tell people again where they can find you. Um, uh, you can find me on Amazon. Uh, PJ Fox. All of my books are available on Amazon, and the print editions are available also at BarnesandNoble.com. And you can find me on my website, PJFoxWrites.com. Um, Fox with one X for some reason I get asked that a lot, but you know, <laughs> PJ like the PJs, Fox like the animal, um, you know, cause people have asked me like, are there like three X's? And I'm like, no, it's not, <laughs> not those kinds of books. Not quite. <laughs> That's funny. So. I thought a red Fox, you know, I remember the actor, he had two X's, but. And two D's, I believe, if I, if I remember correctly. Oh, but whatever. Really, yeah. yeah, whatever. So it's one X, PJ Fox. Okay. Uh, right. Yes, and I'm also I'm on Facebook and, and Twitter and, and Instagram, actually. So you can pretty much find me anywhere. Cool. Excellent. Um, if if you want to, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can find I'll put links to um to that stuff also on the show notes for this, which would be uh, ericmarshall.net slash wet. So people can go there, Excellent. find the show notes, and and uh, and link to, to your various, you know, kind of web homes, right? So great, great, fantastic. Um, so, see, I did the wrap-up thing. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs>